don't know about you, but that song just brings tears to my eyes. Um, Good tears, I believe, because all of us know how difficult life can be. And it's a wonderful reminder of how it'll be worth it all. And it's a perfect lead-in to our text this morning. As we are going to be having a pastor's conference this morning, all of you are officially being sworn in as, as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning. Now, for some of you, you might want to run for the doors, all right? But we're going to be looking at uh, a text that primarily is going to speak to, well, first of all, I want you to say it's, it's going to speak to all of us. It's going to be speak to all of us who are within the kingdom of God and trying to serve him. And um, so while the truths here can be applied to all of us, its primary, like, sharp application is going to be about a pastor, a minister, a missionary who is in full-time ministry by the name of Paul. First of all, let me start out by saying ministry is a blessing. It is an honor. It is a gift. But it is, above all else, a calling. How many here have been in full-time Christian ministry? Anyone all? And, and, and your scar tissue is still healing at all. Anyone at all? You've been there. Except for maybe you, Linda. I heard it was, now I'm teasing. It's good to see you, my sister. I was supposed to call you back, and I didn't. And I think that's primarily your fault, all right? (laughs) Forgive me on that. So while it is a blessing, and it is an honor, and it is a gift, this text is going to paint a picture of a very depressed, a very weak a very fearful and absolutely empty minister or pastor who is at the end of his rope. So, I have to approach it from that direction. You guys, how many here are young enough or old enough to remember the, the game Madden Football? Anyone at all? Do you remember their theme? What was the theme? If it's what? If it's in the game, it's what? It's in the game. If it's in the text... It's in my text, okay? So what we're looking at here is a very empty minister. It's a cry for help. And so my goal is to bring us to where the text leads. So today we are going to have our first pastor's conference, and you are all sworn in as pastors as we look at this text together. So with that said, let's take a look at verses 1 of verse 18. And after these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila and a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded that all the Jews were to get out of Rome. He came to them because he was, by the way, he was of the same trade, and he stayed with them, and they were working together, um, for by trade they were tent makers. And he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to have a dialogue and persuade Jews and God-fearing Greeks. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word and not even working as a tent maker, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah that they were looking for. But they resisted and they blasphemed, not only God, but Paul as well. And he shook off his garments and he said to them, Your blood be on your heads, I am clean. From now on, I'm not even going to talk to you. 
How many here just feel like maybe this guy's at the end of his rope? Anyone at all? Then he left and he went to the house of a man named uh, Titus Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was right next to the synagogue. And Crispus, a leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord and all of his household. And many of the Corinthians there heard and were believing and were being baptized. And the Lord said to Paul in a night vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in the city. And he settled there for a year and six months. And for Paul's, uh, from Paul's perspective, he put down some roots here. A year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Um, yeah, I see verse 12 there, just deciding. Let's stop right there. Let's stop right there and ask God's blessing. We'll walk through this together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Father, I pray that you would empower me for your glory and for your message alone. Father, I pray that I would be immersed in this text and not any agenda of mine. Your people do not need to hear from me. They need to hear from you. You are our God who came in the flesh and dwelt among us and is returning again. We thank you for your deposit, the Holy Spirit. May he teach us. May he teach us Christ. And may it not just fill our heads and our hearts, but our hands and our lives as well. Bless your word, Lord. We claim this promise that you would always bless your word. So bless it. Multiply it. So, Father, I pray this and I ask this in your son's precious and holy name. And if you're awake this morning, say something. Very good. You know that amen corner over there, you guys were enjoying yourself a little too much during victory in Jesus. All right? So... We're going to be singing some depressed uh, liturgical songs next week just to remind you that you're in a Baptist church, all right? I cannot teach this passage without opening a little bit of a window to ministry based on the context here. So I'm going to have to be transparent with you a little bit. This is a list I received years ago, um, uh, two pages, single-spaced, of everything that uh, that is wrong with me. How many here have ever received from a stranger, two-page, single-spaced list of everything that is wrong with you? Okay, one person, all right? We ought to get together, brother, all right? This is a list I received from someone who came to the church for a short period of time. I don't think I spent more than five minutes with this individual alone, but he was able to find two pages, single-spaced, of everything that was wrong with me. And frankly, as I went through it, I thought he missed a few, to be honest with you. I th- could have been a little bit longer. My friends, life is difficult. Can I get a witness? Life is difficult, amen? Life is difficult. Life in ministry is more difficult. Life in the pastorate and for the family is near an impossible task. You see, while everyone and all people experience difficulties and pains and rejection in life, and those are real. Let me just say that. They're real. Pastors and their wives and their family experience not only the same things. By the way, my own sin 
my own failures, my own rejection, my own hurts. But we often have to live inside of everyone else's pain and, and struggles as well. And oftentimes become a safe whipping post for people to vent their own dissatisfaction in their own life. Because you can whip the snot out of a pastor and what must he do? Talk to me, pastor's conference. What must he do? Take it. Can I have some more? Now with that in mind, just so you know, this isn't a poor me trip here, all right? John MacArthur writes the following. A little appreciated truth about the ministry is that a a pastor, perhaps more than any other, are subject to discouragements. I think he borrowed that from Charles Spurgeon because Charles Spurgeon said the following, good people are promised tribulation in this world, and pastors may expect a larger share than others. Now, pastor, why not talk about the blessings and the privilege in ministry? And I want you to know, amen, amen, and amen, I agree. But that is not the context of what we're looking at to hear today. How people treat a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ is nearly universal. Linda, be ready for this, all right, my sister? It, it matters not the denomination, amen, my sister? It does not matter. It doesn't matter the denomination or the geographical location or even the year on the calendar. How he is treated, by the way, becomes so routine that they can almost accurately predict what's going to happen next in their life. In fact, that's exactly... Now, why do I bring that up? Because it's exactly what's going to happen in Paul's life. Since Paul entered ministry, very little had gone smoothly. Paul has been falsely accused, unjustly treated, thrown into jail, tortured, then fled to Thessalonica. In just a few weeks, the Jews are going to rise up and riot against him. And they drove him out to Berea. Which, by the way, over time, they, they went from Thessalonica and traveled through the night to Berea to drive him out of that city as well. Where in Berea, the same thing happened again. He then fled to Athens, only this time with no friends and no family, all alone and lonely, where he again, when he gets to Athens, is ridiculed and marginalized, and then he flees to Corinth, where he will be, here it is, able to predict a pattern here, he is resisted and given a list of everything that is wrong with him from people who do not know him. So frustrated is Paul, so hurt and so tired, so used to this moment that from Paul's perspective, the immediate future is perfectly predictable. And guess what? Then it happens and he is right. The people of Corinth begin to accuse him and hurt him and marginalize him. I I want you to take a look into the eyes of Paul because everywhere he goes, he is not enough. You ever feel that way? I know you do. We all do. He is empty. And he is emotionally drained. He he is at the end of the rope. So much so that he begins to snap. And and, and you can see here right in the text, he, he shakes his garments off. There it is. He takes his garments off and he says, blood be on your heads. I am clean and I'm not even going to talk to you anymore. And can you blame him? Oh, by the way, 
This is not a highlight moment in Paul's life. Can I get a witness for that at all? This is not a highlight. This isn't something we go, look at what Paul did it in Acts chapter 18, so therefore I should do it. This is not a pinnacle moment for Paul. This is not where we follow him as he follows Christ. This is not a proud ministry moment or an, an example for us to follow. Can you imagine if, if I did this here at Trinity? Can you imagine this? If member number one, I don't know, give me a name. Give me a name of some member, anyone at all. Jeff, I'm sorry, you sit up front. This is what you get. If Jeff talks to Paul, all right, and, he, and Jeff says, I went to Pastor Brett and I, I told him about a concern and a frustration I had. And Paul says, how did, how did Pastor Brett respond? And, and, and Jeff goes, oh, like a man of God, he tore his shirt off like Hulk Hogan, which by the way is what it would look like, all right? And, and he tore off his shirt and he told me that blood be on my head. And Paul goes, what a man. What a man of God. What a pastor. We are so blessed. By the way, if I tried to tear my shirt off, I think I'd tear my rotator cup. But we all know the feeling. This is an act of exhaustion, emptiness, weakness. He is spent and it shows in his response. It shows in his response. Oh, to know the context of the verses we read. Now you say, Pastor, maybe we're reading a little bit into the situation. Well, I tell you what, let's just let Paul share it with us. Paul writes about his emotional state when he arrives in Corinth in Acts chapter 18. Because he's going to write back to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3. And he literally tells us how he was feeling. I came to you in weakness. I came to you in fear. In a moment, in Acts chapter 18, God's going to say, do not fear, Paul. I came in weakness. I came in fear and with much trembling. My friends, Paul struggled, here it is, with the same emotions you and I do. The same emotion, the same pain that we do. Let me say it another way. People in ministry are people too. We have emotions. We have failures. We have pain. I got something for you. Pastors have, and this is alliterated, pastors have personal sin and pain. We do. We have needs. We have scars. And we are in desperate need of encouragement, and I'm sure you are as well. And that is exactly what we're going to see God do here when he's at the end of his rope. And there's no more rope to hold on to, and it's slipping through his hands. And it is with this in mind that we can now read the context. So after these things, a lot of times we just read him and we're like, after he got done at the Hudsonville Fair and had some cotton candy. No! After all these horrible things, he left all alone and lonely. He left Athens. All of the painful moments that we just talked about. Now I need you to see this through his emotional state I love this imagery. I found it. It's mine. I didn't read it. I want full credit. All right? No, I'm joking. Paul, tell me if you've ever felt this way. Paul is paper thin, and he has arrived at a paper shredder. You guys know that feeling. 
I know you do. Because guess what? We're all made of the same stuff. He is paper thin and he arrives at a paper shredder. He arrives at Corinth. Have you ever said, this is probably not the best place I could have chosen. Anyone at all? I'm going to go on vacation, I'm going to recharge my batteries. And you find yourself in a place that's draining whatever's left of your batteries. That's Corinth. I want you to see Corinth through the reflection of Paul's aching eyes and heart. Corinth was a city known for its transient population. You had sailors going through. You had businessmen coming through. If you wanted to sail your boat, you could travel 200 miles around the peninsula of Corinth. Or you could roll your boat on on log rollers four miles to get to the other side. So this little needle in the middle of a peninsula has exploded in population. And it's full of transient people. People are coming to and fro. Corinth was known for this. Because its population was constantly shifting and changing, it was an unsettled society. You, you, you met people, you left people. There was very little accountability in this city. Now on top of that, the temple of uh, Epaphrodite is located there who is the goddess of love. This temple is located about 1,500 feet on a hill above Corinth. And every night, over 1,000 priestess prostitutes. Think about that, folks. Every night, 1,000 prostitutes would come down the hill from that temple into the city to practice their immoral trade. This city would descend into absolute immoral sexual debauchery. Grab this. Every night. Night. And this is where, absolutely empty, Paul arrives. So immoral was Corinth that even within Greek culture, even within Greek culture, what happened every night in the city was shocking to them. And if you would at least agree with me on a historical note, Greeks were not known for their morality. Amen? This is like saying Las Vegas was appalled at what was going on. Greeks were so shocked by the behavior in Corinth that over time, Greeks described depraved immorality as this, to Corinthicize oneself. If you were involved in debased immorality, you Corinthicized yourself. Now, one might ask, what does this look like? What could this possibly look like? I found a picture. No, I didn't, all right? But what would this look like? Well, guess what? Did you know that Paul actually wrote a description in Romans chapter 1, 24 through 31? When he, was, when he wrote Romans chapter 1, he was describing what he saw in Corinth every night for a year and a half. For a year and a half, he watched a thousand prostitutes come down, and and Paul wrote about it. This is what he said in Romans chapter 1, beginning verse 24. I'll just read it to you, and then we'll move on. But it's in the Word of God, and he's telling you. This is what he saw in that city. 
They did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. In their shameful desires, women turned against the natural way of indulging in sex with, uh, with each other. And men, instead of having natural relations with, with women, burned in lust for one another. Men did shameful things with other men. Their lives became full of, of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, gossip, backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful. And they invented new ways to sin. Oh, and then my favorite. And they disobeyed their parents. How many here went, oh, 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 wow, thanks, Paul. Thanks for getting that one in there. Can I say something? Sin is sin. He said this. They are heartless. And they show no Mercy. To Corinthicize yourself. So hard was this culture, so immoral, that one ancient author by the name of Horace in 14 BC said this about Corinth Only the tough could survive this city. It is a paper shredder. And he is paper. Now it is here I want you to remember whose eyes we are reading this through. The tired, hurt, weak, fragile, and lonely eyes of Paul. He is losing his ability to, here it is, he is losing his ability to rebound from all the unending emotional demands of being in full-time ministry. He's done. Maybe now we can understand why Paul responded the way he did. No wonder he took his coat off and and shook out the dust and, and said, I quit. I want to speak to all the pastors out there, which is all of you. I want you to hear this. We must all find time to regain strength regularly. Or will you eventually fail to rebound from all the demands around you? For me, about every 10 to 12 weeks, Amy and I, we just go hiking. I love it. And I just sit there sometimes and I just listen to the trees sway. And the trail does all the thinking for me. All I have to do is put one foot in front of the other. And I listen to those trees. But let me tell you something. Those, those mountains in Colorado or Yosemite Park or over here in, in West Michigan or pictured rocks or wherever it may bring us, that's not the pinnacle of God's creation. It's not the pinnacle of God. You want to know what the pinnacle of God's creation is? You. You are the pinnacle of His creation. But we have to find time. To heal. I remember one time at my first church, the senior pastor was under immense pressure. He could do nothing right. One day we were at a church golf outing and, and he was a pretty good golfer and he hit the ball and if this, is the, if this is the hole, the ball rolled up and it got about right here. And we were in a, in a, I think there was about six of us in the scramble and he got up and all he had to do is just put this, this ball into and he was under immense pressure, not in the golf game, all right, but in ministry. And he, he just hit that ball and it, and it lipped out of the cup and rolled a couple feet away. And he took his cup, his, his, his club and he just threw it as far as he could. And everyone around him just went, oh! <gasps> 
immediately began to chastise him. This is, Linda, see if you can finish this, or any pastor. This is conduct unbecoming of a what? Pastor. Which, in many cases, is just breathing, all right? This is conduct unbecoming of a pastor. He threw his golf club, and I'm like, he didn't hit you with it, you know? I think it's a success. I think he showed immense constraints. But those around him began to chastise him. Because when people disagree with a pastor, they charge it with as an immoral, it's an immoral failure. In fact, you can see this within the text. They began to blaspheme Paul. In any, any of the commentaries I read this week, this was like not only did they, this could be taken one of two ways. Blaspheming who Jesus Christ did or speaking ill against Paul. And as I read and I studied and I looked into the context, you don't have to choose, it's, it's both. They spoke moral ill against him. Back to the golf course, soon meetings followed. The pastor was put under a microscope and he was questioned. His, his character was accused. This pastor didn't need any more meetings. What he needed was support and rest and encouragement. He, he needed to know that he was loved. You can see it in Paul here as well. He needed to know that he was more than just a, a utility or a tool or a shovel that was in the, in the shed that is the church, that he was more than that. You see, throwing the club, it was not about what he did. The question should have been why he did it. Paul is throwing his clubs through the air. Paul just needs some encouragement, some rest, some fellowship. And I bet you, you feel that way too. I know you guys. I've been here long enough to sink your ship, all right? And you long enough to sink mine, and we love one another. But I know you guys, and you know me, and I know that in this room, there's a tremendous amount of brokenness. You want to know why? Because we're all broken people. Can I get a witness at all? Sometimes people are like, there's a lot of broken heart broken. I'm like, yeah, because we're all breathing. We're broken people. Thank God for Jesus. My guess is all of you pastors out there know exactly how this feels. So let us look at five encouragements that God brings into our lives. When the rope is slipping through our hands, what he brings... Number one, encouragement number one, biblical community. He found a Jew named Aquila and his wife Priscilla. And by the way, he had a lot in common with these two. They were both of the same trade. They, they did the same thing for work. They also knew the pain of rejection. In AD 49, Jews were kicked out of Rome because of civil unrest. Aquila and Priscilla were political refugees who know rejection, who know disappointment, who know what it's like to be run out of a town. How many here can ever find comfort of someone who has been there, done that, and walked the same trail as you? Anyone at all? Someone who's been in that valley. You want to talk to the person who's been in that valley and who's gotten through the other side. And they can, they can share scars and lick each other's wounds. They shared much in common. In fact, they became lifelong trusted friends. We see that in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Romans chapter 16. They saved his life. They labored with him. 
Pastors everywhere can hear this accusation coming. Paul has favorites. Paul's a respecter of persons. Do you see how morality is attached to everything? He he has favorites. Sometimes in ministry, people think a minister is not allowed to have close friends. He must be best friends with everyone equally at all times in every way or friends with no one. Amen? Amen. (laughs) Thank you, Linda. How long was Chuck a pastor for? 39 years. 39 years. So as a Methodist, that's about 12 years experience, all right? No, I'm joking. I I, I always got to do that. You know this. We know this. But not only is this not true for me and not true for you. Okay, we're all talking to each other here. Not only is this not true, it's not even biblical. Well, we should all love one another. And we should be inclusive in our relationships and and seek those who are different from us and and bring people into our, our friendship groups and not have exclusive cliques. There is a fundamental need for every individual, whether it's you or me, if I may borrow from this phrase, a fundamental need to have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. In fact, God sent Silas and Timothy to come down from Macedonia. He's been waiting for this for a long time. And by the way, they brought some encouragement. They brought money from the church in Philippi. Now the church in Philippi, I want you to think seller of purple. Lydia, a a former demon-possessed slave girl, a Roman guard and his family and some inmates and whoever else has been joining the church, which by the way, Philippi is an extremely wealthy area. It is the northeast side of Grand Rapids. I've heard, all right? This is not Caledonia, folks. I'm joking. (laughs) And they come with a gift from a bunch of wealthy people. May I just make a practical statement? We are not to love money. Amen? We are not to serve money. But how many here are transparent and willing enough to say amen to this? Money can be an encouragement. Amen? No one goes, how dare you? How dare you, good sir? Pay my bills that I can't pay. No, they brought encouragement with them. Philippians 4, 15. By the way, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 9 talks about this. Let me just be blunt. It's a, it was an encouragement. In fact, the gift was so large that Paul could stop making tents. Look at this. He, he, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word of God because now he didn't have to work. blessing that was for him this is a blessing i have as well now with all this in mind all right let me just get to the point here it is christians need christians we desperately need close biblical friendship with one another I like how Stephen Cole said it, and I love the way he said this. He said, we desperately need each other, even though we often needle each other. How many of you here go, the church spiritual gift is needling each other, amen? We need one another. My friends, 
A strong, healthy Christian walk desperately needs close biblical relationships. We need church. We need community. We need a small group within that community. And we need close friends within the small group, within the community, within the church. Do you have that here? Do you have someone or a group of people that you can sit down? My friends, let me make this crystal clear. Church is not attending a lecture. Amen? I will say it till the day I leave here. If you come late and you leave early and you don't know someone's name, you're not at church. We need that relationships. Now look at encouragement number two. The fruit of converts. God is faithful. In times of discouragement, God is faithful to bring converts even in the face of opposition. Look at what happens here. It's almost comical what God does. How many here would say, God can do whatever he wants, amen? Take a look at what God does here for Paul. God provides a home for Paul to go to right next to the synagogue. A house that was right next to the synagogue. What a strategic location God has given Paul. Look at that. They don't want him there, and he's living next to them. Moral failure, all right? Paul could share the gospel in a way that everyone could hear all the time. In fact, so close and so strategic was this place that Crispus, the leader of, by the way, how many here just love the name Crispus? Anyone at all? Sounds crispy. It sounds delicious. Crispus. Why didn't we name one of our kids Crispus? It's better than the name you wanted, Tucker. No, let's move forward, all right? That is not in my notes, but still needed to be said. I don't know where that came from. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, came to know Jesus Christ as his personal Savior in his entire household. Now grab this. Many of the Corinthians there were hearing and believing and being baptized. Can I just make a quick note? In Grand Rapids. This is written in the continuous tense within the original language Greek. I know what you're thinking. Yes, all right. No, bear with me here, all right? Notice this. They are hearing, they are believing, and they are being baptizing. Notice the order, Grand Rapids. They are not being baptized, then hearing, and then believing. And the synagogue has to see, has to hear, and has to witness all of this. But back to the text now, like Paul in ministry, you're always going to have critics. You're always going to have attackers. You're always going to have people on, on you. That's called Monday. Joe Beakey from Puritan Seminary who is not Baptist, so we'll take this with a grain of salt, all right? But I love his teaching, and I joke him when I say that. Joel Beakey says this from Puritan Cemetery here in Grand Rapids. He says, he who stands up front will soon be kicked in the rear. I often tell young men who want to go into full-time, well, anyone who wants to go into full-time ministry, the average day in ministry is a Category 1 hurricane of needs, demands, concerns, opportunities, expectations, um, um, blessings, and crises. 
And in between those gusts of wind is around 40 hours of study. And that's before you get to your own personal tropical storms, which I have in my own life, in my own family, in my own heart. And then it only goes up from there. It's around 70 to 90 hours a week. And you will work all week long just to work the weekend. And then comes out the joke that I want to throw a punch. (laughs) What's it like to work? Shame on you. Shame on us. It's a hurricane. Here's the point. It's easy to be taken up in the hurricane of life and the hurricane of ministry like Paul is here. So what we must all do is keep our eyes on what God is doing in the midst of it. God is faithful in bringing converts and blessings and resources even in the face of these hurricanes. And last week, we actually saw this happen. Last week, we had the blessing of watching people uh, raise their hands and say, I want to accept and commit my life to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? What an encouragement. We got a phone call this week from a dear lady in the church who says, I've been witnessing faithful to this to this uh, person I know, and, and I just wanted the church to know that I was able to lead them to Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. What a blessing that is. So as we are in the pastor's conference You and I have a choice. Either we can look at this list of everything that is wrong with us, written by people who do not know, or we can look at what God is doing. And let me tell you something, God is doing great things here at Trinity. What a blessing it is to see people get saved, to have the rivers full of every age group and every demographic and every denomination baptizing. and Our membership classes are full and that's all to his glory. I've kept this list in my office for five years. Is Michelle Carroll in here? They hurt, don't they? Because you're human. And every once I, once in a while, I'm going through my drawers looking for something to clean my glasses with. <laughs> Open up my drawer, and there's this thing. I don't know what your thing is, but my guess is you have something like this too. And it hurts. Every time I see it. Oh, I joke and I laugh it off because that's how I process stress. So I have a choice. I can either look at what God is doing in Olivia's life and Bernie's mom. Forgive me, your name's, what's your name, Bernie's mom? Geraldine, vice president, ran for vice president. No, I'm joking. That's just my mind goes there. See what the Lord is doing in their life. And the, and, and the person that came to, to the gospel through another member of our church this week and others in the baptism. So I can, I can either look at what God is doing in their lives or I can look at this list. 
Dave Brandon every once in a while. He's been an elder, goes on a cycle. Once in a while, he'll come into my office and he'll say, in fact, there, where, where's Dave Brandon? There's Dave Brandon. And really, this list is more true about him than it is me. <laughs> Dave Brandon, what do you always tell me to do with these lists? Talk to me. Tear it up. So I have a choice to make in the hurricane called life. You have a choice to make in your hurricane called life. I can look at what God is doing or I can look at what people who don't know me are saying. And this is my choice. This, and, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you, <laughs> let's just put it right here, right? At the feet of the cross. Do the same thing in your life. Encouragement number three. There's 36 of them, so we need to get going, all right? No, I'm teasing. We're almost done. Look at the promise here. I am with you. I am never going to leave you. I am never going to forsake you. I am never far from you. God will never leave, never forsake. He said, by the way, he said this in his great commission, didn't he? He gave him all those instructions, and he said, Behold, I am with you. How often? Always. In the middle of the hurricane called life, in our pastor's conference, of which you are them, always. Quick point. Did Paul already know this promise? The answer is yes. So let's, let me ask you again. Did Paul already know this promise? What is it, church? Yes. Do you forget God's promises? I do. I do. Just a quick point here. It meant so much to him in the present situation to have it repeated. My friends, we must seek the Lord's promise and remind ourselves of them repeatedly. While this is written to a man who is discouraged in ministry, the truth transcends all. No matter how hurt or discouraged you are, or I am, or have been, knowing that the Lord, the God, is with you wherever you are going, whatever you are going through is an unspeakable comfort. That is the promise of the presence of God. So let's look at another, another promise, and it's called his protection. Encouragement number four, God says, I got your back. Or in super hip language, I got your six. Which I think is military. Is that military language? Which naturally just comes from me, all right? I'm a soldier of the king who runs from all danger. All right, here we go. God says this, no man will attack you and ever harm you. Now, this is a promise for Paul in this city. Because we know he's going to eventually leave Corinth and he is going to be attacked again. He is going to be hurt. And by the way, in 60 AD, he will be beheaded by Rome. So here's the balanced truth. God says, nothing will happen to you and no one will touch you unless it is my will. And in this city, it is my will that not a hair on your head will shift in the wind. Nothing can happen to us that is not within the Father's will. So when the times of trials come or when the sunny days with a light breeze come, we are in the Father's protection in both cases. Now, encouragement number five, God's purpose. 
God's purpose of salvation. A minister can find encouragement when he is reminded of the purpose. The Lord says, I have many people in this city. So what? So what? There's many of God's people in Grand Rapids. This must be seen in the context of the words, go on speaking, do not be silent. That is the context in which this is coming in. Do not be silent, keep on talking. Keep on talking about what? The gospel. Where? In the house, next to the synagogue, as, as people are hearing and, and believing and being baptized. And, and there's, there's, there's more in the city. It is through this context that we know God is telling Paul about the elect of God. God's purpose is to bring people to salvation through Jesus Christ. Here Paul is told, there are those who belong to the Lord who have not yet been saved. They're here. They're chosen. The Holy Spirit is working. I'm going to raise dry bones spiritually speaking from the earth. And by the way, Paul, they're not coming unless they hear the gospel, special revelation, context of last week. My friends, this is the greatest of motivations. If it were up to us, none of us would ever choose Christ in our sins. If it were up to us in our ability, none of us could convince someone to accept Christ and leave their sins. But if God has chosen to save a sinner and Jesus has shed his blood to save and the Holy Spirit imparts irresistible salvation, oh, hear this, my friends, everywhere we go, go there is hope for salvation when we share the gospel so here is what we need to see because of these encouragements when Paul is at the end of his rope and you and I are at the end of our rope grab this Paul went from throwing his coat and saying I'm done you can bleed out for all I care God sends him the encouragement of friends and converts and presence and protection and purpose. And Paul went from wanting to walk away in Acts chapter 18 to proclaiming in 2 Timothy, I'll endure it all for the sake of those who are chosen. That's why that song we just sang, Oh, praise the name of the Lord on high, is such a reminder that it is worth it all. What a difference. What a difference. Where are your eyes? Where are mine? Are they on these five boxes in the middle? Because it will change everything. So to my fellow pastors, and to my fellow laborers, to my church family, and to everyone in this room, when the trials come, when differences of opinion are equated as moral failures, when no grace is afforded, when your tank is empty, when you're tired, when you're weak and alone and you're being whipped like a mule and your heart is broken, when attacks come from people who do not know you and they come in a place where only the toughest can survive and all you want to do is tear your coat and say, I am done, remember? You are not alone. 
Jesus is always with you. You are in the palm of his hand. God has provided biblical fellowship. His purpose is never thwarted. His promises are never lost. And you are the under shepherd of a king of kings and the Lord of lords. Therefore, we will never stop serving, never stop loving, never stop sharing. And like Paul, this is why we can find peace and joy in the middle of a category one hurricane called life. What a promise. And here is the incredible truth. The same truths that were meant for Paul here and pastors everywhere are equally true for every believer in the kingdom of God. Look at these encouragements. My friends, just don't claim them. Go get them. As the old saying says, even a blind squirrel can find a what? A nut. Let me add my addendum to that. Talking about the promises of God, even a blind squirrel can find a nut, but a seeking squirrel finds many nuts every day. Go get the promises. Remind yourself of the promises. Seek Him and rest in that promise. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for allowing us to just peek in with Paul's life. Father, may we keep our eyes on what matters. Bless your word. And we pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.